All right, another week, and uh, we're rocking and rolling. Um, something that caught my eye that we'll talk about a bit was, let me load this up here, at daratransactions.com. Weird, sometimes the site shows zero TPS, and then, yeah, now it just showed, now it just bumped up to 1,764 TPS. So it's really crazy. <clears throat> I, You know, it's really crazy to learn more and more about how the network functions and also how enterprises are utilizing the network. Um, and not even just in the sense of what are their use cases or what are they doing, but um, getting all these different interesting insights into how their backends actually work. Um, last week, we got a really, really interesting insight into um, Avery Dennison and Atma IO um, that I didn't know about that makes so much sense that I just wanted to kick off um, the show with because I found it so interesting. Um, people unfamiliar, Atma IO from Avery Dennison. Avery Dennison is a you know Hedera governing council member. They have a use case that's focused on um, carbon offset tracking through the supply chain and product journeys and all that good stuff. But what was really interesting is, although it's like a super high uh, you know, throughput use case um, and is an enterprise use case, <clears throat> it was really weird to see how the transactions put through the network from Avery Dennison were always so consistent. It's it, there was never a huge spike or lull. It was kind of like um, smooth, and I definitely found it weird because you know the first thing I think is kind of like, well, um, why is that the case? Um, shouldn't you know when you think of a supply chain, you know it can't be running at you know this exact amount of TPS per second consistently. There's got to be some variation. So I didn't really understand what that was about, um, but. With the exploit that happened last week and the questions surrounding, um, you know, was at my IO still utilizing the mainnet while the mainnet proxies were shut off? What was the deal with that? When, you know, and what I think further added confusion for me and other community members was when it, when it was first communicated that when the mainnet proxies were restored and access was brought back to the mainnet, we were like, oh, okay, so it turns out that Atma.io and Avery Dennison have a system that allows them to process all these transactions. And when the mainnet is accessible, send those to the mainnet. So effectively they're reconciled. Um, and so at that point we were like, oh, wow, we're probably going to see thousands or tens of thousands of transactions per second on the mainnet as all of these backlogged, you know, tens of millions of transactions are sent to the mainnet. But when the mainnet came back online and when the Atma.io use case was effectively reconnected, things just kind of started humming along. And it turns out that Atma.io leverages its, you know, Avery Dennison has built in their own kind of throttling mechanism within their stack that sends a steady amount of transactions to the mainnet. So that was really interesting to me. And that was a big learning moment when I look at enterprise use cases. You know, they aren't necessarily going to be sending transactions to the mainnet 
right as they happen, they could be they could be sending them in that kind of manner because that's one of the strengths of the Hedera network is you have that fair ordering, you have that ability to reconcile. And if the network is, you know, experiences some kind of air-gapped outage like we did, you know, where the main net wasn't necessarily turned off or stopped working, it was just that gap was created. It's very interesting to me. It's like, okay, so use cases, you know, they don't skip a beat. And a lot of these enterprises are going to have these kind of mechanisms built in. So that was a huge insight for me um, coming out of last week. And I get, you know, this is a story we want to, we want to talk about, but I guess I'll knock it, knock it off right before we even get into the show. Um, the, the, the main net, you know, has been increasing in activity recently. And I'll just pull up the Metrica dashboard here and I'll go to the past week. Um, or actually, I'll go to the past month. Um, we've seen TPS rise into kind of the seven to eight hundred area, which is really, really, really interesting um, for a few reasons. Um, the first reason is, of course, when we saw that initial quote-unquote step function, um, we saw between that you know five hundred, maybe six hundred TPS. And now we're seeing this really substantial, consistent increase by about 100 TPS. And for me, you know, we haven't really seen any new significant Hedera consensus topics. It's it's still consistently been the Atma IO use case. But is this a situation where Avery Dennison and Atma IO just kind of turned up a knob a little bit when instead of sending um, X amount of transactions to the network, we're going to send Y. And they just make an adjustment and increase that um, throughput on their end to the main net. It's really got me rethinking about what we see on the main net versus what could be happening with these use cases. I've always been the thought of, oh, major use case comes online, boom, instant activity on the main net. There's, there's there's more tech stack in between. There's more technology um, on the end of the use case. There's so many different things that can plug into and utilize the Hedera network. So that was just a, a key insight. I really only think we could have learned something like that um, during a situation similar to that um, pre-compile attack on the mainnet. When you have situations like that, um, you can sometimes really get a closer look at things, get a look inside. Um, so that was the silver line to that. That was something cool that I learned that we talked about last week, but has just been kind of rattling around in my brain and I just couldn't wait to bring it back up on the show and kind of kick it off with that. Um, so for me, as I watch the main net, as I kind of see what's going on, as I watch the progression, I'm now kind of going to keep in mind that there's a bit more of a, a you know, a buffer on maybe some of these use cases that are leveraging the main net. It's not right down to the wood per se. Um, so we got a lot more to look at. Um, I'm going to give a rip through the news uh, before we we kick things off. And I'm hoping um, Rob Allen's going to stop by from the HBAR Foundation um, to talk about the Guardian and ESG. We're going to learn about some of that stuff. He's been saying some interesting things recently. Um, but What's some stuff got going on? By the way, Twitter's doing this thing where with threads, it's only showing me like chunks of the thread at, the, at a time. 
I don't know what that is about. I don't know if anyone is having a similar uh, experience, but we'll get through it as best we can here, folks. Um, so we're going to talk about an update. Hedera has provided an official update since um, we last covered the exploit that we'll just quickly touch on. Um, we've got some other insights in regards to the payment from Hedera to Swirls Labs. Um, it's really been on everybody's mind. Um, we've got some CBDC updates. We've got some updates from Galaxy, right? A premier use case that we haven't heard a lot about recently, but now they're starting to make some moves. Uh, we got updates from Pangolin. We've got uh, Hello Future Buzz did a really great spaces with uh, Carmel Cadet that we'll talk about. Um, that's, you know, at EM Tech, CEO of EM Tech, working on some uh, CBDC stuff. Um, Lehman gave a, a talk. There was a clip that he gave, and I just wanted to touch on it this week as well. Um, music NFTs are making moves. There is a, a music scene forming on Hedera. Um, oh, there was a tweet that I shared in the news space that was deleted. Interesting. Hmm. That's happened before when I go to share a news piece in the spaces and the... What does it mean? What does that mean? I don't know. Um, we're going to talk about AI a little bit too. Uh, John Wingate from uh, Bank Social um, has a perspective on that that I think is really important to highlight. We got an update from Lehman Swap. We got an update from Headstarter. What else we got going on? Updates from the HBAR Foundation. Um, updates regarding the Coupon Bureau. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Hedericon. And all that good stuff. I mean, it's a good spaces. There's a lot to talk about. And we'll get a chance to uh, have a quick chat with Rob. Um, so we're live on Twitter Spaces with another week in Hashgraph to unpack. If you need to catch up on previous week's news, head over to itsbrandond.com slash hbar where you'll find past episodes. Um, and I mean, this week, title of the show, you know, How Soon Is Now, not only is it, is it a great song by the Smiths, but it's also... Kind of what I just thought about off the top of my head when I was kind of planning for this episode. Again, coming off the 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 back of last week with all the craziness happening and the banking system and the exploit on Hedera and the hacks of the you know wallets on other networks and all it, it was truly like a crazy period. Um, now we're a week later. Things are a little fresh, um, and we've got some really bold statements going around, right? We've got some really interesting announcements popping up here and there. And for me, I think of the Coupon Bureau, I think of the ESG space, I think of, um, you know, Atma.io, and I think of all these pending new governing council members, um, all of these insights that we have yet to hear from uh, the Davos conference and um, Hedera also was just at ETH Denver and all these different types of things. It does feel like so much is bubbling to the surface. And we hear soon a lot, right? We're hearing this is soon, this is soon, this is soon. But also like things are happening now. Like I always kind of just remind myself that, you know, it's it's only been, you know, two months since we had this quote unquote step function. You know, we went from low double digit TPS to hundreds of TPS um, after waiting years and years and years. So that, that that's huge and that's happening now. And I kind of ask myself, how soon is now? You know, what could be right around the corner? Um, the sense that I'm getting from 
a lot of folks, again, at Swords Labs, at Hedera, at the HBAR Foundation, and even kind of the tone from Hedera's social media and the messaging. And it, it does feel to a certain extent like these different organizations are hitting a new stride and truly um, entering in a different phase of scale and of the network. And at the same time that so many crazy things have happened, again, we got we got a rock and DeFi ecosystem now. Um, we've got uh, you know we've got a crazy NFT ecosystem that that continues to grow and grow and grow. All these different types of things. There's even bigger things that we're waiting on. Um, so that's kind of what's on my mind. Um, and I mean, I think it's on a lot of other people's minds too. And with that, good evening from Ottawa, Canada, everyone. My name is Brandon Davenport, and I'm a developer, artist, and creative agency owner at Dirksen and Davenport Incorporated. And like all of you, I am a Hashgraph enthusiast. It is Sunday, March 19th, and there's a lot to talk about. Welcome to Hashgraph News and Rumors, episode 69, How Soon Is Now? This is a weekly show that covers the top stories related to Hedera, HBAR, and everything in between. Broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. If you're listening live, check out the Twitter thread pinned to the top of the Spaces. Take a deeper dive into each story. Also, everybody listening, take a moment now, share the Spaces let your friends know you're listening. The more the merrier. It's easy to do. There's a button on the top right. You can also click the little comment button at the bottom right of the spaces to ask a question or share something interesting that listeners might like to know. And I'll talk about it. Also, this is a reminder, join the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community. It's an awesome way uh, for Hashgraph newbies and early adopters to connect, team up, share knowledge and insights. The link to join is in the thread as well. Um, and also, this show continues to grow from hundreds of listeners to thousands, and that's because of people like you that take the time out of their day to listen. The show is by far one of my favorite things to do. If you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show, please consider making an HBAR donation. It helps me continually add value to the Hashgraph community and helps keep the show ad-free. You can send a donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet, brought to you by listeners like you. Now... Um, Let's look at HBAR. Let's look at some. Let's look at some price stuff just real quick. Um, I mean, obviously, we've got a lot happening um, in the broader finance ecosystem. Obviously, with major banks, and there was just uh, another major bank that acquired another major bank, and there's all sorts of fear and um, breaking news every second. Uh, that crypto whale watcher or whale watcher Twitter account with the just in. You know, I'm seeing so many of those pop in. Feels like you can't really keep up with everything. On top of that, we've got all the AI craziness that happened. Truly, like, you know, the last week was just insane with the news. It was it was really, 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 really crazy. Um, but when we look at HBAR, um, it's it's not too crazy. I mean, we're continuing to to channel between that six cent and seven cent range. Right, we might see a little bit of a ride up to retest that seven cent resistance, um, and we do have that kind of floor where we did dip down to five and a half cents um, uh, on the 9th of March. So, 
you know, we are seeing some, you know, higher lows and higher highs, hopefully. Um, but at the end of the day, the price action of HBAR is really at the whim of what's happening in the broader um, financial market, what's going on with Bitcoin, all those different types of things in general. We're going to follow Bitcoin. But what's interesting is uh, Bitcoin has seen a, a really strong ride up from uh, that kind of sub $20,000 uh, range on the 9th um, all the way to $28,000 um, today. So a lot of other altcoins, you know, um, have not seen that same price action. Ethereum a little bit, um, but HBAR definitely has not seen a major move up. So what that tells us is with all sorts of different crazy things happening in the, in the broader finance market um, and also two similarities happening between, you know, the 2008 financial crisis and certain elements of what are happening now, obviously on the backdrop of that is crypto, right? Bitcoin came to be because of the 2008 financial crisis. And at this point, this again brings Bitcoin much deeper into the public conversation with um, so many other people. Um, so that's been really, really interesting to see. Um, but we're going to just have to keep an eye on that. Um, and, you know, when we think about what we could see, you know, with, with HBAR, you know, you really don't know exactly what's going to happen. But what I will say is um, watch the Bitcoin charts right now. That's what we should be doing. Most of the market, that will be a little bit of an indicator of what we'll see happen. Um, again, we have talked in the past about um, HBAR making moves on its own. We have seen it made, make moves on its own. It's really not that time yet. Um, it would it would really take something incredibly substantial to to have that happen. Um, so, again, my prediction is as good as anyone's prediction. That's that's why I'm not going to give one. Um, but also, too, um, if we take a look at um, some of the stuff happening um, on Saucer Swap, we'll just take a quick peek at some of these HTS assets. Um, obviously, these are cryptos that are minted right to the layer one. Um, of Hedera. So uh, we've got Sauce just chilling. And again, these are the 24-hour um, price changes. Now, again, another shout out to Saucer Swap. Great update to the UI on the website. It, it would be awesome to have um, those, those seven-day price changes on the analytics page. That'd be great. But we'll go over the 24-hour ones real quick before uh, I, I go to Rob. And we've got Rob Allen tuning in um, from the HBAR Foundation. Um, Rob, feel free to uh, hop up. I did shoot you an invite. Just click that uh, speak uh, button and I'll bring you up and we can uh, chat about ESG and the Guardian. But we got Sauce. It's just chilling. Um, we've got Headstarter up uh, just 4%. Um, what else we got going on? We got we got Grelf. Grelf is, is this kind of meme coin that's been uh, around in the space. Seen some crazy price action. We got $80,000 worth of volume in the past 24 hours. Just, you know... Watch it. It's a blast. Uh, seeing some of these meme coins uh, pop into the ecosystem is fun. We got Dovu up just about 5%. Uh, we've got Galaxy up 6%. Um, we've got Stater's Token up almost 4% um, and Jam down about a half percent. So um, that's a little bit about what's going on. But next, what I want to do 
is I want to talk about um, really a core element of what what makes up Hedera, what makes it special, um, and that's ESG, and that's also uh, what the Guardian is is, and and we're going to unpack that. We've got Rob Allen up here, but first I just wanted to um, kind of give a bit of a rundown. Um, so Rob Allen calls himself a payments guy. Starting off as an engineer in the British Army building battlefield computing systems, Rob went on to develop global payment solutions at many organizations and banks across the UK, Australia, Denmark, Sweden, and Switzerland. In, 20, in 2018, he published a book called Fintech Revolution, where he mentioned a new technology called Hashgraph. And Rob, I know that book is a little outdated now, but worth a read. Most folks listening would remember him as the co-founder of ConnectID at FPOS, where he would eventually take on the role of Hedera Governing Council member and then move on to become Senior Vice President of Ecosystem Acceleration at the HBAR Foundation. He's also a founder and CEO of Nodal.io. So it's Sunday for me here in Ottawa, but for you in Sydney, it's Monday morning. Great to have you on the show, Rob. How's the week treating you so far? Hey, Brandon, and um, hello from the future. I love that. I mean, it was so hard for me not to make that joke. I just made that up, but it's quite cool. Isn't it? Yeah, I know it is cool. I was gonna, I was gonna say something like that in the DMs, but I was like, oh, that's so lame. <laughs> but it's true. You're literally in the future. <laughs> yeah, it really is. That's awesome. So, um, really great to have you on the show. I mean, we've talked about so many different things. Um, we've talked about like the new coupon standards, but also we've talked about like the new Tolem Earth stuff and Dove and all these different types of things in the Guardian. For me. It's definitely like a little bit out of my knowledge scope. So I'm so happy to have you on the show and, and kind of break down some of these things. So I'm really excited. Yeah, so am I. So am I. And the, um, it seems, and thank you for the, 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 the kind of the back, my background. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it seems very um, disparate, the, the journey I've been on, but, uh, you know, it goes over. 40 odd years so you know that's 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 not to be um that's not surprising but actually looking back there is a a kind of golden thread through all of it uh or maybe two golden threads the first one is this um need for decentralized resilient um architectures and infrastructures on what on which to build uh systems where you can uh send either value or information in a trusted way. You know, back in back in the day when I was building battlefield computer systems, which um, for the British Army, clearly you need that, that resilience and decentralization because any of those nodes can be taken out at any time. And that's that's what we were building back uh, back then. Obviously pre pre blockchain, but if blockchains had been around, we would have been, and I, I suspect many military um, Engineers these days are looking at, at these sorts of systems to uh, to do just the same thing, but information uh, back then were, was when I moved into banking and banking systems and payment systems, um, much the same thing. And so, you know, I was I was looking very closely at how we could build um, future systems that uh, enabled that transfer of uh, of value. Um, value is whatever you you know attribute um, value to, of course. Um, and then once I got the blockchain kind of uh, bug back in 2015, when I was working at uh, Nordea Bank and um, uh, representing them on the on the um, the Ripple uh, consortium, 
um, and then wrote the book uh, when I came to to Australia. Um, a lot of my values started creeping in. I've kind of moved away from banks primarily because of you know a misalignment of values, and the um, the book was about deconstructing banking and reconstructing it in a way that you could bank the bottom billion, you know, the unbanked, the those who are underserved by banks. And my co-author actually went on to uh, to build a business on those principles. And yes, you're right, it's a bit dated, but half of the book is actually a blueprint of how to do this. And I think that's all still really valid. My co-author, Sophie, and, and I had collectively about 40 years of building banking systems. So we kind of knew a little bit about that that we, we were bringing to apply. And her business now actually is very active in Africa doing exactly what we were talking about in the book. I've always been conservation minded. I've, I've, my, my, I'm called Sharky because I'm a shark photographer, you know, and I've been director of the Shark Conservation um, Society for, for many years. So all of these things really combined. And when I, when I left PwC, and set up modal that you you referenced that's all about esg it's all about the s- sustainable development goals and how technology can be applied to solve those problems um, fast forward uh, when the hbar foundation was set up and i and i joined um my my original thought was actually to set up a foundation a, a special purpose foundation specifically for these things you know hedera based foundation that would target um sustainability uh, specifically and then wes geisenberger and i um you know were um were, were delighted to be able to do it under the you know the auspices of auspices of the the main hbar foundation but wes is the architect of all this you know he's he's the the brilliant mind at the center of this this web of um incredible guardian based partners that are um really doing some amazing things to to move the needle and you know i'm i'm largely in a supporting role but very very interested um in, in terms of moving things out of the way to allow wes and the partners to um uh, to proceed at pace and at scale which is is absolutely necessary to you know address the um the issues around climate change and um sustainability uh, more more generally that's awesome i love that and you brought up something interesting, too, that I think uh, marks an interesting time in your career. You referenced PwC, and I know in 2017, while working at PwC, you happened to be in the U.S., and through serendipity, you ended up having a three-hour conversation with Dr. Lehman Baird after meeting for the first time. How did that meeting impact your thinking regarding uh, the future of DLT? Oh, it was it was. It was everything. It was the, uh, I guess, the epiphany moment. I've been, um, like I said, I've been working in, in the blockchain space prior to that as a payments guy. So I was looking for uh, the right technology to create this kind of vision of the future. Of course, we had private permissioned blockchains, which were all the rage in 14, 2015, uh, 2016, maybe. Um but they were always a bit, you know, uninspiring to me. Uh, most private permission blockchains have, you know, you, you could you could accomplish with a distributed database, and you don't really need all of the paraphernalia around it to um, um, to, to build trust because you've got a big perimeter fence and a, a consortium legal agreement to <laughs> to. 
uh, to, to fall back on. So it doesn't really didn't really do it for me. So I needed a public ledger, but I also needed a public ledger that um, would scale. Because the future that we lean into is, you know, uh, it's going to have IoT devices by the billion. Uh, the transactional throughput has got to be, you know, got to, got to support, you know, IoT devices, Industry 4.0 type um, mechanisms, uh, where inc- incentivization models need to transact in in tiny amounts of value. And so I was, you know, I was struggling with blockchain doing that. Um, until, and it was it wasn't really a, uh, a, um, a surprise that you know we gravitated towards um, Hedera because um, we were introduced to the Hedera project uh, in 2017. So this is a year before before the uh, the launch and two years actually before the open access event and. Um, uh, I was in the US. We were actually at PwC. We, we built a platform called Vulcan, which was a blockchain-based payment solution that we were trying to spin out as a as, as a separate business. And um, we were just doing the rounds, trying to raise funds, and and it was proving very difficult because we were built on. Actually, we started by by building it on a fork of uh, Bitcoin, as you do. Um, and then I looked at Ethereum and discounted it pretty quickly. Um, and then Multichain and Stellar were all kind of um, uh, candidates, but none of them really fit the bill. And so um, when we were introduced to uh, Manson Lehman via uh, mutual contacts, um, and I had this conversation with Lehman about uh, about what we were trying to do with the Vulcan project and, and what he was trying to do, um, it became very clear to me that the you know the API layer, the, the API-driven um, approach, we didn't even have the Hedera consensus service back then. That was just a you know it was the the, um, the cryptocurrency service, the file storage service, um, and the initial smart contract service, which no one ever really used. Um, that was that was the that was the offering. But when I was talking to Lehman, I, it was it became very obvious to me that consensus as a service or blockchain as a service was the the, the primary offering, and that we could actually do some really amazing things. Um, it was it was too early for us though, and actually the Vulcan project ended up being reassimilated into the PwC organization. They now use it as. Um, uh, as an in, inter-office treasury platform, but it's a it's a stablecoin platform. You know, it's, it's effectively tokenizes you know fiat and then uses um, kind of FX to uh, transfer money between you know PwC US or PwC Australia or PwC Singapore or wherever. So that that was you know um, a good experience, but I left anyway after not being able to spin that out, and had always kept in touch with the um, the Hedera project through the community. You know, I was a one center. I was kind of um, lurking around in those days, learning as much as I could, um, and then built a couple of um, startups myself using the technology when it was available. Um, and then ultimately, as you said earlier, gravitated towards uh, FPOS with my payments experience. It was actually my COVID gig. So the, um, the the project work was drying up. I'd done some really amazing stuff on the in the SDG side of things with um, renewable energy and waste management and circular economies. 
Um, and um, But I needed a proper job. And so I joined as entrepreneur in residence at FPOS, um, which then reignited my... Um, my, my love of Hedera and I kind of um, brought that into the fold. We ran a couple of good proofs of concepts around micropayments, which is my, you know, clearly my um, my core um, origin story around around Hedera, and the um, the rest is uh, the rest is history. We were able to take FPOS, which is now called Australian Payments Plus, onto the uh, onto the governing council, and um, um, I went from journeyman fanboy to governing council member over the course of you know, a few years. That's incredible. I mean, what, what a journey. And, and it's so funny because there's so many people um, in positions such as yourself that, that genuinely did just start out like as, as a community member, like that's, you did meet Lehman and you, and you did um, talk about some of these bigger enterprise use cases and, and how to implement those. But genuinely, like, as you said, you were a one center and you, you were part of the community. And um, I think that that is something special about um, the ecosystem and kind of the, the organizations that have spun off from Hedera is so many of these folks, like we can look to uh, brand the H bar bull or Zepsi or any of these folks. And I just go, these are, these are, these are community members at heart, you know, and, and you're one of those folks. Absolutely, absolutely, and and Web three is nothing if not about community. It's about community and it's about collaboration. Even though we're enterprise grade, all the enterprises I speak to all the time are on that transition between Web two and Web three. It's about how you going back to the you know what I've said about my book. How do you deconstruct that the edifice that is the the Web two corporate? And integrated into a more decentralized, more community-based, more collaborative, more citizen-focused um, future, and that's the journey that you know those that are on it will, you know, they may succeed. They may only get to Web 2.5, and that might be enough, um, or they may may make it all the way. But if they don't go anywhere, I suspect that most of them will fail. <laughs> I have to agree. Now. There are so many different verticals where L1s and other networks are trying to capture market share, but Hedera is betting big on these ESG initiatives and use cases. Um, what's the goal? Is refi the tip of the spear for mass adoption of Hedera? Um, it's one of the goals. Um, regenerative finance is critical in, in the ESG space in order to drive the scale in the projects that are bringing these um, these credits, carbon credits, biodiversity credits, you know, water, whichever, um, or correlated um, ben- uh, credits into the market. So we've got, and you know, the, the quote <laughs> that everyone picked up on from me last week about trillions of dollars. There are trillions of dollars in, of investment necessary to move the needle towards um, a net zero future. And most of the mechanisms for doing that are by creating um, project-based credits, which then get taken to marketplaces, and you need to find the right price for those credits in, a, in, a, in an open and transparent market, such that the buyers can trust what they're buying in order to offset their own operation. Now, offsetting is not the only mechanism. You know, corporates, enterprises, individuals should try and reduce their impact. Um, 
they should try and avoid it in the first place and then finally offset the whatever's residual. So that's that's the kind of um, the landscape in which we have to have to scale to to address the problems at hand. But you can't do that with old market infrastructure. The, the, the carbon credit markets were developed by you know, 20 years ago or more by bankers primarily with a model that was already probably broken and certainly not fit for purpose. So um, what what we are trying to do is to recreate market infrastructure, which is far more web, both Web3 focused, but also you know, uses the, the, the benefits of transparency and trust inherent in public ledgers uh, at scale um, in order that um, this, um, these trillions of dollars of investment can actually come in and, um, and not hit friction and bottlenecks and broken marketplaces um, and therefore, you know, not not uh, not succeed. So, the mission of the Sustainable Impact Fund is, you know, you've probably heard Wes say it many times, um, is to bring the balance sheet of the planet to a public ledger. What that means is the balance sheet of the planet is all the natural assets in the natural world, not just carbon, but you know, nature-based um, assets that the that the planet um, has and it are being largely exploited. Um, and a public ledger is necessary because private ledgers um, don't create the trust required to get to a, you know, an equitable um, asset price, um, such that, that 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 financing can go back into the projects in order to scale. And, and we've got five main goals to do this. The first is how we, how do we make climate finance auditable? Um, how do we develop a system of auditing and verifying? climate finance transactions to ensure accurate accuracy and transparency so the auditability is really key here um, we're doing this through digitizing and open sourcing methodologies the methodologies are the the rule book that projects you know re renewable energy mangrove renewals peatland um, regeneration um, habitat renewal and, and species protection the methodologies are the um, the rule book now we're we're creating a way to digitize that, and so that and open sourcing it, so projects across the world can kind of t go to a library, take uh, a methodology which we call a policy, um, and you know just tweak it for their own purposes. It lowers the bar to entry into these marketplaces, so that projects can actually shape themselves uh, to deliver credits into the market. The next step is, the, and the third one is, um, how do we scale validation and verification? The current model requires third parties called VBBs or validation and verification bodies to, um, to ensure that what's being um, promised to be delivered into the marketplace is, is signed off on, and uh, which is an oversimplistic um, way of stating it, but you, know, you, get the, the, you get the picture. The VBBs are... You know, there's, there's a handful of these businesses around the world. They tend to fly into location, you know, with boots on the ground and clipboards in hand um, in order to uh, uh, verify the projects. That is not a scalable model. So if you're pumping trillions of dollars into, you know, uh, thousands or tens of thousands of new projects, you're not going to be able to scale. So that's one of the bottlenecks that you, that you hit that I mentioned. 
So um, we are doing that through use of um, digital uh, measurement reporting and verification uh, techniques, which tie back to the, um, which is called DMRV, that ties back to the, uh, the open source policies and methodologies that were in the previous goal. The last two goals are, are on the kind of on the marketplace and the buy side of the equation. So this is all about supply, supply of verifiable, auditable, discoverable um, assets into a marketplace. In order for a marketplace to be um, equitable, to be transparent, to be free and open, um, you need the um, uh, you need a number of things. But firstly, you need trust in the marketplace. You need that level of transparency that only a public ledger will provide. But you also need a global carbon price the, um, and, and pricing mechanisms that are, that are um, equitable. A glo- there is no global, global carbon price. You know, different brokers with di- uh, different middlemen, gouge, you know, all the value from the, um, the assets and current markets. And very little of it gets back to the projects. With a free and open and transparent marketplace, you can you know far um, you've got far more chance of achieving this kind of uh, global carbon price. And in carbon markets, we're looking at fifty, sixty, seventy dollars as a carbon price um, in order to you know, the higher the better actually because you know that that then feeds back into that kind of financing loop into projects. But of course, with a lack of trust, opaqueness, um, middlemen buyers will probably go for the lowest common denominator. All they're doing is, at the moment is a uh, tick box exercise to show that they're meeting their ESG policies and, and the auditors will be happy. As soon as we've blown this all open and we've provided the transparency such that independent verification or independent audit of a, a corporate's um, ob- meeting of its obligations are, are possible, you know, every one of us could potentially then go and, and check that Microsoft or you know, um, a bank or a, a government even are doing the right thing. Um, then you can uh, get to the point where the, the the pricing mechanisms actually start moving up, and wh- where you actually then get to a, a place where um, speculation becomes possible in these in these marketplaces. To to my point about Tolam Earth um, on the the H bar bull this weekend, and then the fifth goal um, is kind of related, but it's how um, how do we make ESG reporting credible? So ESG is an obligation on a business, um, environmental, social, and, and government, gov- sorry, governance aspects of their non-financial risk. Non-financial risk still has to be accounted for on, um, on a business's books. And like I said at the moment, it's very, very difficult for that, to, that obligation to be um, um, demonstrated to a to an auditor with all of this in place that becomes possible and so it means that corporates actually the the uh, those who are in the voluntary sectors can actually do right by their their stakeholders their shareholders their customers and there will be an increasing demand for them to actually do the right thing and those in in um, compliance markets actually absolutely have to do the right thing so those five goals, making climate finance auditable, digitizing and open sourcing methodologies, scaling validation, verification, getting to a global carbon price and making the ESG report incredible are the, the kind of the cardinal points of what WES and the Sustainable Impact Fund are seeking to achieve. 
And we're doing this through partnerships, through investment in technology that we're open sourcing, the Guardian stack, the um, the automated regression market maker stack on which Tolem is built, um, our partnerships with financing um, partners like Evercity or Solid World Dow, uh, Flow Carbon, and the hundreds and hundreds of projects that are coming to the <clears throat> coming into this um, space now to tokenize their credits through Guardian because they recognize the benefits of doing that. So that's sorry, it was a long-winded answer, but it was uh, it was kind of the. Um, when we talk about Guardian, a lot of people just think it's like a tokenization engine and not don't realize it is part of a very um, sophisticated patchwork of, um, of partnerships and open source technology and kind of investments and grants to make this whole, um, this whole thing um, move forward at pace and at scale. No, that's great. I mean, I, I definitely appreciate the, the, uh, the, the long-winded answer just because the, these are the types of things um, that, that are needed in the community for us to kind of go a little deeper and wrap our heads around exactly what this means. Because you're right, it is really big. Like this is a, a, a you know, a trillion dollar, a multi-trillion dollar industry forming. Um, and the world will fundamentally change and, and how businesses operate will change because of it. Um, and having that kind of nuance and understanding these things more and more. Um, is so important, especially because it's such a huge component of the focus um, of this network. But you brought up Microsoft and also your uh, your uh, recent interview with DH Barbol over the weekend, which was a great video, by the way. Um, you, you know, when we talk about uh, when you talked about Microsoft, you were referencing the fact that there um, are literally not enough verifiable carbon credits on the planet to meet the needs of just their um, you know, just their requirements, even, a, you know, just a single uh, major corporation. And it makes me think like at a high level, do you see Hashgraph technology as the catalyst for this new multi-trillion dollar industry? Like, would we be seeing this uh, industry be formed um, without Hedera on this, on this time frame? Uh, so, so that quote, was from Marley Gray. Marley Gray was one of the uh, the chief architects at um, at Microsoft and a um, a key mover in the uh, Interwork Alliance, which set the standards on which Guardian has has been built. So the Token Taxonomy Framework um, was formed by you know, a working group of fifty or more um, businesses, including including Hedera. Pre-decentralized Hedera, um, Wes was still working on this, you know, a couple of years ago, and um, and the IWA you know, had Accenture as well as Microsoft and many many others. It's part of the uh, global um, blockchain business council now, the GBBC. So they they're continuing to um, to work on these standards, but Microsoft wanted the first instance of the um, the token taxonomy framework to be. Um, about sustainability. I mean, there will be many other uh, instances or, or instantiations of, of that uh, that framework, but sustainability was really key. And because of this this uh, recognition that um, Microsoft has a, a massive operation and a massive um, obligation to um, um, to offset um, its that that operation, but being a um, you know, climate-minded and, and trying to do the right thing, uh, 
both you know as a fiduciary uh, uh, for the business as well as you know um, wanting to do the right thing by the planet they needed to find verifiable credits they needed to to kind of cut through this veil of opaqueness in carbon markets and they couldn't so um this was one of those kind of catalysts at the beginning of this journey that you know wes and hedera kind of plugged into in order that um um building the standards uh was the first step in order to to build you know what became called the guardian i and to answer your correct your question directly i do not know of any other layer one chain and we'll discount the layer twos because i think they make too many trade-offs and are kind of compromising because of the shortcomings of their own layer one so you know put that to one side so, so having a layer one um network which um, operates at the scale that, in, that is necessary to notarize all of this data. So the way Guardian works is it takes data from projects. It um, notarizes the data points that are collected by the project using the Hedera consensus service. It signs all those bits of data with verifiable credentials that are digital identity primitives, um, also on Hedera. And then it tokenizes all of that data, all that metadata, and creates a, effectively an NFT um, out of the back of the Guardian. So this, this NFT, or it's actually a hybrid token, but it's a, um, it carries the metadata um, so in a way that is discoverable. There is no other chain that can do that at the scale that we need, like I said, without the friction or the, the, the bottlenecks. So... Although there are lots of projects around the world that are well-meaning and value-driven and, you know, there are chains that are very specific to, to um, solving um, climate issues, um, Hedera is, is, for me, like, like it's, for me, the only one that I would build micropayment solutions on. It's the only one I would buy, um, build sustainability solutions on. And, in fact, when we're talking to projects or project developers or uh, partners in the ecosystem who have come across some Ethereum and, um, and other chains to, to build on Hedera, or the corporates, the first thing we talk about is the UCL report. You know, the, the two UCL reports actually now that demonstrably show that the Hedera network is carbon neutral, uh, actually carbon negative because we offset as well, um, as a platform. And it really resonates when we, when we have these conversations, when we were at COP27 in Egypt, when we were talking to, um, you know, the UN. Um, and uh, when the team went to Davos and they were talking uh, via the World Economic Forum with everyone who was really kind of drawn to the sustainability um, specifics of the Hedera network, this is where we, where we start, right? The platform on which you build climate solutions on cannot carry a ton of, uh, carbon debt before you even start offsetting it, it simply cannot and so no other uh, chain can make that claim i mean some are trying because they're offsetting but the um the algorithm for that is the hashgraph algorithm is so lightweight it is so um um specifically uh, addressing the problems of sustainability i think Lehman Bird, you know, probably wasn't thinking that when back in 2014, when he was first coming up with ways of, you know, designing uh, uh, 
platforms for shared worlds. But his, you know, computer science principles for developing a really efficient, really scalable um, algorithm that became Hashgraph and and, and in use by the Hedera network um, is perfect for sustainability solutions, as we have seen. And in the conversations that we've had through the foundation, through um, through Hedera itself, uh, governing council, this is what resonates. This is the... Um, the, this is the real issue of now, and we are ready and primed for for that. So when I said um, on, on Brandon's show at the weekend that I think, you know, why not all of that um, value um, coming to coming to Hedera? Why why not all that those trillions of dollars of investment being tokenized on on through the Guardian ecosystem? I truly mean it. I think that we will attract increasingly more and more and as we scale and demonstrate that we can scale without hitting all these bottlenecks and and um, scaling ceilings that uh, it will draw more and more in it'll take a while of course it'll take maybe 10 years 20 years but uh, but why not uh, if you, once you get into a virtuous cycle that demonstrates um, in a way that is verifiable that uh, that this Funding is being used for the right purposes and actually providing positive beneficial outcomes, then more will come in because uh, there's, a, there's a lot to do and there's a lot, of, um, a lot of money and investment sat on the sidelines waiting for the right, um, the right approach. And everything that we have heard back through COP27, uh, we'll go to COP28 again this year to demonstrate you know, the, the, um, the progress um, and at Davos, and in in between all of the meetings that we have all of the time, it's uh, that what we're hearing back is that there is no other solution uh, like this. And um, um, just take my money, basically. <laughs> I love I love to hear that. And I mean, it does sound like that. And and I mean, you you know, you and other folks have referenced, you know, um, you, you know this industry that it's going to be multi-trillion dollars all those different types of things and it's clear that hedera and hashgraph are um going to be really be an accelerator of that industry and it it makes me curious going within those predictions that are being made are they factoring in the impacts that technologies like hedera hashgraph um, are going to have on that industry and and when those are seen could that have an impact on those predictions of the size of these industries? Because I imagine um, these predictions for these industries are being made um, with the thinking that the existing tools and technologies available will be what supports that. Um, I'm, that's something I'm trying to wrap my mind around. Yeah, it's a very good point. And, and I don't have an answer for that. I think uh, it, it will be something that accelerates over time. You're quite right that, uh, you know... We'll, ju- we'll just have to still, see. Still... We'll have to say still to this day, everyone, you know, I I would love everyone on the planet to know about Hedera, but they don't. Uh, We're working on that. But the um, it will gather pace. And this is why it's been so important through the last the last 18 months to put in place the infrastructure that removes all that friction and uh, and the bottlenecks in order to scale, because uh, once it does start scaling once that money does start flowing once these projects do you know go from dozens to hundreds to thousands we need to be able to not have to 
you know, uh, reverse engineer and, and, um, um, change the, uh, the, the, the technologies that have been put in place. So, you know, the fact that we can trust Hedera to scale and that we've, uh, we've created this, this amazing open source community around Guardian that sits, you know, every week with, with dozens, if not, you know, a hundred people kind of contributing into the, um, the open source, um, code stack. And we've, we've, uh, worked with some very, very smart people across the, the ecosystem to build out, you know, elements of the, um, um, of the ecosystem like Miko on the wallets. And we've got, um, Envision, uh, in the Guardian stack itself. We've got OCI building out the, um, the, um, the Tolam. Stack, which is based on Block Science's design of the uh, automated regression market maker, you know, Evercity and Solid World DAO, who, you know, and Flow Carbon, all of whom have kind of carried the scars of working with other other chains and have gravitated towards um, Hedera for the um, um, because it's so different and so so beneficial for them to come here. All of these elements are actually part of this um, foundational year. Because what we're facing into through this next year or 18 months is just about scaling. It's about bringing more policies onto our open source library, more um, projects in that uh, use those policies. And um, as we know, there's no end of demand for these things. So bringing them to the marketplace should ultimately send the right pricing signals back into the ecosystem so that um, you get this virtuous loop with more and more projects coming on because the pricing is is being um, is is normalizing to uh, to a correct level right on now one thing that you said that really resonated with me too was breaking down um, those three main pillars of the guardian ecosystem, right? We've got the guardian itself, which is that open source stack, the marketplaces and the financial liquidity aspect. But, um, you've been highlighting one project in particular, Tolem earth, um, poised to quote, change everything, um, in the coming months. <laughs> I want to ask what is Tolem earth and what is the everything it's going to change? <laughs> well, I mean the, the um, Tolam Earth is the first um, um, the first automated regression market uh, maker and marketplace that is um, driven by this design uh, that, that came out of block science for a guardian aware uh, AI driven um, matching engine that will uh, predictively um, buy credits from the market to match the demand that it knows is coming. So, I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It, it itself is open source, right? So Tolam Earth is the first uh, to market of the first kind of commercialization of this, this um, open source stack. We envisage potentially, you know, special purpose arms forming or um, other ways of utilizing that, that technology. I think there'll be there'll be a number that, that we'll see over time. So, uh, but this is the first, and uh, there's a YouTube channel, so I won't kind of repeat what uh, Matthew Porter, the CEO, and uh, Matthew Lawrenson, who comes uh, you know from OCI and is also the chief strategy officer, so they they kind of um, articulate it way better than I can. The reason I think it's going to change everything is because. Um, 
maybe not in the next six months. Maybe it's going to take some time to start revving the engine up and bringing more and more of these this uh, um, sustainability project assets in into the marketplace. But I envisage a time where the DeFi community can actually contribute into the ReFi community. And what I mean by that is, you know, the um, the ability to trade assets or to speculate on these assets is all part of the mechanism to drive the price and get to this global carbon price. So if if they uh, imagine, and I said this the other day, but imagine being able to trade your your uh, your way to a million dollars of profit by saving the planet at the same time. I mean that that would be a really cool thing to do, and. Um, you, know, you need supply and demand, you need transparency, you need time, you need analytical tools, which no doubt will develop you know, around this, um, uh, this marketplace space. And we don't really understand, or sorry, we, we, we kind of understand, but we don't really know how long that will take to happen. But looking at what's happened in the Hedera uh, DeFi space, with you know, all the great stuff that's going on in, in uh, SourceSwap and HeliSwap and now Pangolin, and um, we've got some others coming up, you know, LehmanSwap and, 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 and others. It's really, really kind of caught fire in the community. And I think the same thing's going to happen um, in the refi space on Hedera, except it doesn't exist anywhere else because it can't exist anywhere else at this scale. So to your earlier point about is Hedera the only place that this is going to happen, I think it actually will be for the, for the foreseeable future. And this next bull run that hopefully we're, we're, we'll be leaning into over the course of the next few months to, to a year, this may well be the thing that creates Hedera to really, really catch fire and, uh, and take off because it's not just about the, the bull run of utility. It's actually something far more important than that because it becomes real. It's real world, real world issues. And we have a way of actually um, you know, providing the, the, the interactivity with the marketplace that actually has those beneficial outcomes. So, you know, I, I only exist on the Kool-Aid, so <laughs> I, I, may, I may well be uh, way off on this, but you know, I would like to think that this is, this is a real touch point for, um, for um, Hedera being, um, you know, taking off massively. Now, you better be careful, Rob, because someone else who was on the Kool-Aid was um, was uh, Mance. And I remember years ago, he was talking about, he, he, I think he just off the cuff mentioned step function. And for a year or two years, people were talking about step function, step function, step function. But you've made some really bold, um, you know, I won't call them predictions. Function. It's just, it's just we, yeah. we kind of expect things to happen as soon as they're set. And, um, you exactly. know, Mance, Mance kind of knew what was going on. And, um, but, but, timeframes are out of his hands right he wasn't delivering everything he just knew it was coming and we like we all knew it was coming i i actually think that particular step function um as we look back on the um the tps charts over time will just be a um, um a tiny little step the the next and i'm i'm, I'm happy to say this but i think that the next step function is going to make this one look like a um uh, a tiny tiny thing but anyway, that, it might be a ramp. It might not be a step. It might be a ramp. Don't quote me. Uh, no, no one's, no okay. one's listening to this anyway, are they? 
<laughs> it's just it's just us and, and eventually a couple hundred people once this goes to apple Podcasts. um but um what i will say is like just just kind of pulling on the thread a little bit that must definitely be a challenge for you guys like even you know some of the experiences that mance and um other folks within swirls and and uh, the hbar foundation have is like the th- the things that you guys like object is in rear view mirrors closer than it appears kind of thing like there's probably so many things that you guys see co- see coming so much knowledge of um what could be coming down the pike and there could very well be a a, a pretty solid timeline on those things that just for for whatever reason don't end up working out and is it is, is it definitely a, like it feels like it could be a challenge to measure that of like oh, what do I, how excited do I get about things it's it's not just what you say but like how you come across like sometimes I'm like oh recently you know so and so has been coming been coming across much more bold or much more confident something's got to be happening like is that is that something that you guys kind of you know when I say you guys like you know those in the foundation of swirls and stuff like is that something that you kind of grapple with is like how excited can we get <laughs> you know. Uh, I think it comes down to character. I've, I've, I'm, a, I'm permanently excited, um, but I, I have, I have uh, an engineering perspective rather than a commercial perspective. I'm very excited because I can, I can see the utilization of this this amazing technology in so many different ways. And going back to you know that 2017 conversation with Lehman, you know he he, he perceived many of these things, not all of them, but he, the 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 principles of that he and Mance put in place then are coming coming to bear now, and it's hard. You know, what we're doing is really really tough. We're not just um, we're not taking an open source uh, variant of a, an existing blockchain and you know issuing a token and, and pumping it and then you know working out later maybe what utility we can add to it. This is all by design, right? Enterprise grade, hundred year, um, grown up governance is is not something you get overnight. But what we do see increasingly, and you know, the the, the foundation has has been um, really on the in, in the vanguard of driving this, along with the Hashgraph Association and Swirls Labs, and you know, and um, others within our market development funds. We're seeing more and more people saying, "Oh, yeah, we know about Hedera. Um, we don't have to do the sell anymore. We, we get it. We're seeing that pace uh, pace grow." And of course, you know, the macroeconomic climate has been terrible over the last year. Um, and I, this is my third, fourth. This is my fourth crypto winter. So you know, the the cycles um, are there. Uh, we've become hardened to them. We know that it's a time to build. And I see a lot of building on Hedera, an awful lot of building. I mean, one knows that startups fail, right? 80 to 90% of startups fail in, in every sector. Crypto is no different. And so um, we have to expect that to happen. And, you know, we, we've all seen the, the names that we've that have um, um, talked a lot about over the years just disappearing in the Hedera space. Right, so projects have come and gone, and that's just the normal order of things. But the people right. don't, and you were talking about community earlier. You know, the people try and fail, try and fail, and then succeed. Um, and so, which is why I think community is everything, and the Hedera community is one of the best, if not the best, in the Web three space. You know, the resilience through thick and thin, through all that one center time, 
through the you know the um, uh, the unfounded, mostly sometimes founded um, uh, fud that has been thrown from you know ill-informed outsiders, has created a found, uh, created a community that actually is incredibly resilient, and uh, and now building right and and I think you you mentioned earlier the one of the things that we see a lot of is is because it's very easy to build on Hedera, it's API-driven, we're seeing no-code solutions like Milan's, we're seeing um, you know, uh, websites that just kind of plug into the APIs and, and do something in the community. Plus, we're seeing some amazing best-in-class technologies like the wallets that we've got. All of these things um, actually give confidence to the people in the community to go and do their own thing. And that, that's that's the that's at the heart of Web3, I think, is just being able to do your bit, fit into your values. Um, what's your commercial idea? What's your, you know, your lemonade stand idea? And, uh, and run with it and then learn and, and keep on going. And um, we're seeing a lot of that. So, so my, my excitement really is that, that thousands of Hadarians or H barbarians will be having similar ideas. How do I make money out of this? How do I fit this into my life how can i introduce this into to my business or into the enterprise that um, employs me because uh because we, we we kind of believe in it and it's not the it's not just kool-aid driven it's actually based on um on truth and seeing those step changes you know the ones that we've, we've referenced and governing council members starting to deliver solutions which take a long time to build um really help with the, the the general kind of sentiment that actually we are in the right place the anxiety of kind of um picking the wrong technology is very real you know i've done it for, for many many years which is why i'm still in the hedera space because i've you know since 2017 i haven't found anything that does the things that i want it to do um any better than or or at all like hedera does yeah, those are those are really great points, and that's those are that's a great perspective. And I mean, it, it speaks to the heart of like a, a news story I was going to talk about later was um, Lehman speaking at uh, that purpose event, and he said something that um, kind of is in line with the next question I wanted to ask you. He was talking to that a little bit, and I mean, it even goes back further to Lehman's kind of original vision of you know carving out your own piece of cyberspace, like what what you were talking about and and how you're framing that is pretty much exactly that vision is like carve out my own piece. Um, and when he was speaking at that purpose event, there's a, a video clip in the, in the thread pinned to the top of the spaces. Um, he says he, what he's seeing um, at that event, but I think a little more broadly is instead of people saying, how can I build my empire? It's more, how can I make the world a better place in a better way? And I kind of think that speaks to, Kind of like the vision, the ethos of all the organizations involved and built around this kind of hashgraph technology. And something that you said recently resonated with that as well, which was you used kind of the the you know tagline 
Um, this is DeFi with purpose. And Rob, I know you're not. A, you mentioned you're not like a marketing guy or a or a or a, um, business guy, but you're an engineer. But I mean that that's like some golden branding right there. DeFi with purpose. Um, <laughs> yes. And with the scope, I, I should I should NFT all of these little uh, I know. shark bites, shouldn't I? I know. <laughs> and and um, with the scope of what you're talking about. Are we going to see a redefinition of DeFi? And is this kind of a call to action for the DeFi community to change the way they think about DeFi, moving beyond some of these conventional mechanisms and, and, and assets and moving more into, um, you know, all like multi-trillions of dollars of these new assets flowing through and potentially like, could we see some of these assets flowing through like, you know, a Zeus market or a saucer swap or like, how does this change the DeFi landscape? Uh, look, I am, I am an engineer and I'm, um, I'm not arrogant enough to, to think that I could tell other people what to think or, or how to operate, but, but everything does evolve. Right. And, and, and people are driven by their own values, by the, the, the incentive models to, to which they subscribe and, and to the things that kind of make their own, um, self and and their tribe you know better off and and that that's what you know DeFi is driven primarily by speculation um by yield by uh you know staking and th- those are primitive mechanisms which you know need to be in place but values then kind of become overlaid onto that and you know DeFi with purpose was just an off-the-cuff um uh, comment but that's kind of where we're going with this if you can integrate um, I mean, it's, all, it's all tokens, right? So everything on a public ledger as an asset uh, as, and a, that is tokenized is a property right. And you can do whatever you like with it because you own the keys. So, you know, you can, you can take a Guardian-based token and fractionalize it and turn it into you know, a reward point. Or you can take a Guardian token and... Uh, with its metadata and convert that into an NFT that actually carries some kind of utility within a game. Um, it, it's just just that that real world connection between, you know, the the the, the metaverse, the cyber worlds, the shared worlds uh, of Lehman's vision, and uh, real world assets. And the Guardian is is actually at its heart just a policy workflow engine. So it takes policies with data and it tokenizes them. And we're using it, obviously, for, for sustainability, but that kind of model can be used in, in, other, um, in other contexts. So assets can, you know, DeFi, decentralized finance, isn't really about decentralized finance now. It's about, it's about trading um, with things of value. And we all kind of attribute value to the things which we value by definition. Um, it might be not someone else's, but you find someone who, who wants that thing and then you can trade it. That thing can be pegged to something intrinsic, um, something in the real world, like a guardian token or, or something which has no intrinsic value, but actually, you, you know, like a collector's card or something which actually you, you end up valuing through through the utility of the, the trade. Um, so it, it, my, I, I guess my, my rambly point is that we're, we're converging 
around these things. And it's not just black and white. You know, it's not DeFi turning into refi. It's there's a blend here because it's about people and it's how people individuals want to use these tools um, to create um, value in their own lives. And, and my desire is to provide the tools to people who actually have um, a more sustainability minded mindset and they want to make the world a better place for their children and, and future generations as well as themselves. And once we give them the tools, once we gamify it, once we provide the um, the ability for them to actually uh, and demonstrably do the right thing, I think they will. Um, so, you know, the jury's out on that, I guess, but uh, <laughs> the world's in a pretty poor state at the moment. But I like to think that, um, you know, given the right incentive models and the right tools, then people basically will do the right thing. I love that. I, it, you know, we, we need that kind of optimism, um, especially right now. And again, I, I really appreciate your time. I just have two more questions um, for you. This has just been a really fascinating conversation. Um, I want to switch gears just before we wrap things up to um, coupons, because that's something that's always on my mind. I don't know if you have any insights to share about it, but anyone who listens to the show knows I talk about uh, the new 8112 coupon standard a lot. Now that the holiday season is kind of over and we approach quarter two, what are the last steps needed before 8112 can go live at a larger scale? We've seen like some mom and pop shops implement it. We've heard about um, some types of resistance that um, maybe retailers would have with it. We've seen brands really pushing for it. Uh, we know with their roadmap, they were kind of foreseeing a ramp up into this year and you know with with everything kind of in place now like the next six to nine months is is really the the golden window um like what you know where are we at with 8112 um and i don't want to directly ask like when is it going to go live because I, again i don't think it's one of those things we know exactly when but um where are we at in that process uh, I'm going to disappoint you because I, I don't, I honestly don't know. It's been, uh, been a while since I've spoken to the coupon bureau guys uh, and Brandy and, and, um, but they had a lot to do, right. They, their, their intent was to set up the standard first and then build a business to commercialize the standard, which, you know, is, is a very smart way of doing it. Um, but other than that, I can't, um, I'm sorry, I can't ha help you with that one, Brandon. I can go away and find out, and um, and then if I'm allowed to say anything, then I'm I'm happy to come back. Please do, yeah. Cause I've been like anyone who listens to this show. I've been almost every week. I talk about coupons in some yeah, scenario. just just be <laughs> right, just because. Trust me, trust me. I'd love it to, to go live. I know this, this is one of those one of those um, you know mass adoption, mass effect, real world problems use cases that Hedera is, is absolutely designed for. Um, but the real world isn't isn't usually a straight you know line, and um, I suspect there are a few commercial things that need to be um, put in place, and headwinds and you know things that we don't know about. So you know, um, let, let me find out or, or try and find out, and if I'm able to, then I'll um, I'll come back. Otherwise, um, you know, yeah, please do. I guess it'll happen when it it'll happen when it happens. I, I've I've certainly seen nothing, and I have not. Uh, any evidence whatsoever that they're not continuing to build on Hedera per 
all the previous stuff that they're um, that they that they've publicly announced. So there's no no cause for alarm about that at all. And I've seen a little bit on on Twitter about um, you know are you still building on Hedera? We've heard nothing. You know that's the immediate gratification of uh, of crypto Twitter um, doesn't really work very well in in startup land or any any commerce. But um, yeah, I, I I don't think that that's uh, that they've that they've switched technologies or or anything like that. I think it's all um, it's all still good. It just takes it takes a while. Right on. Okay, great. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to know more. I think that. Be, be, I think what um, at the core what it's really about is, and I think for me speaking as a, you know, H barbarian Hadarian, um, when I look at someone you know like my mom or you know a grandparent or something. Um, when we have a coupon standard running at that scale, it makes, you know, Hedera and that network really tangible in a different way because you can kind of say like, hey, mom, you know, like these, you know, all these coupons and things that you use um, and and probably the user experience will improve. That's when you can actually say like you're actually using this this network and you can go and you can just buy a little piece of it. And start to illustrate that difference between a network um, like the internet that you can't really own um, and then uh, this this kind of trust layer that these different things can run on and a touch point that's a product that regular folks use all the time um, you know banking is a great example as well is just ha- allowing others to have that little light bulb moment and kind of go oh like if I'm really interested in this technology and, and use it in my everyday life, I could grab a little piece of that. I could have some influence on that. I could be involved in that. That's that's such a really, it's a completely new way to look at crypto and 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 explain it to people. Yes, I agree. And a different demographic, right? It's this is about reaching out into new demographics and not that rarefied, um, probably group that we we've got on on the um, on the spaces here. Um, reaching, reaching your granny or your mom or you know the the, the um, friends who who have nothing to do with with crypto. Um, that's that's real world mass adoption right there, and um, it's it's a like I said, it's a problem that needs to be solved. So it, it it'll resonate when it becomes obvious, and um, hopefully we're not too far away from that. That's awesome. Well. This has been a fantastic conversation. I do have to get onto the news, but I wanted to ask you one last question. Um, um, and I ask this to most people that I have on the show. Um, what's a project in the Hedera ecosystem that you're really interested in that might not be getting the attention it deserves? Is there an undiscovered gem out there um, that's worth highlighting? That's a really hard question for me to answer uh, because I see... You know, many, if not most, of the, um, the the projects that come through the foundation. Um, I don't know. I, I just think everything's. Maybe I've I've got more kind of perfect knowledge than most, but I think there is a there is a, a, a delivery time frame for most of these uh, these projects. I, I'm perfect. Okay, okay. I, I have one. I've rambled my way to a, to an answer. Um, IoT. I really, really wanted that initiative we did last year um, 
with Greg and um, some some friends down here in Australia um, around helium and um, <clears throat> getting a, I think a, a, a it feels like a layer two on Hedera, which in, provides the right economic incentives for the gateways that need to be put in place such that IoT devices across multiple projects using LoRaWAN or, or other um, um, kind of short distance technologies can operate. Because I'm certain that Hedera is the base layer for all of those things to happen. But it's um, it was a really hard, I mean, we were never going to convince the Helium community that were kind of bought out by, by Solana who backed Nova Labs um, and, and demonstrated that they, you know, they weren't true to their, their uh, principles of governance. So that was never going to happen. But actually, through the process of that, um, it, it, I think it proved to me that we're absolutely got every right to play in the IoT space. So I would love to see more of that. We're, we're obviously seeing a, a bit of IoT project data coming in through Guardian because a lot of the, the sustainability projects gather their data at the device level. Um, but, I mean, some of you may have seen the, um, the papers and articles I've written on smart cities. I see IoT as kind of foundational infrastructure along with micropayments to, 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 um, on which to build smart cities both in in the metaverse and in 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 real life in, in the meat space so um i'd love to see more of that um it also overlays onto things like supply chain use cases and um, um track and trace um and foundational infrastructure to support that would be would be awesome we've got neuron neurons uh doing some pretty amazing things and um and they've announced um, some stuff and they've um, announced stuff, but they haven't announced lots of other stuff. So I'm really excited to see that um, come to, um, you know, come into production. Um, and we may even have another go at the helium thing, given Solana's woes. So though, there you go. That's, that's my answer. That's the, the, the next stage really is, is not about building or, Actually, that, that's wrong to say. I was going to say it's not about building uh, businesses that just use the Hedera consensus service because the Hedera consensus service is actually the, um, I think, the number one uh, kind of blockchain killer, if you like, uh, application. It's all very well having you know, tokenization, having uh, smart contracts, but the HCS is is really underappreciated in terms of the, the 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 real revolution that it's brought, whole blockchains were built entirely on the provenance, you know, utility, and we get it virtually for free. So um, use of HCS is is kind of going to be background. And when I talk about you know in the future, everyone will be every business will be built on Hedera, but they won't know it. It's mainly because of that. It's mainly because kind of just plugging into HCS and, and notarizing your data or sharing facts or being able to be independently verifiable or auditable are all, you know, um, very, very easy to achieve now using the Hedera consensus service. So that, that will be a backbone of uh, lots of additional utility that will be built on it. And I think this next phase, next two to three years, 
we'll start seeing a lot more really sophisticated and nuanced uses of the of, of all the, the the native services. You know, the use of notarization plus tokenization and and smart contract decentralization is is um, going to really enable some um, some really really cool things to happen. Plus, we haven't really seen the AppNet approach, that AppNet um, architectural pattern, which effectively enables us to have a secure business logic layer um, on top of on top of Hedera. So that's a very enterprise-focused um, architectural pattern. Um, so there's there's lots of things that now now the builders, the Hedera builders, have got to grips with the um, the, the the core na- network services. We'll be able to start building some much more sophisticated um, solutions, which aren't constrained by the uh, by blockchain thinking. You know, it's either decentralized or it's not. That's not the case with Hedera. It can be it can be shades of gray in between, as as is appropriate for a particular business solution or or problem that's being um, you know sought to be solved. And, and that's that's what I'm really excited about seeing some of those coming to coming to market over the course of the next couple of years. Well, Rob, I really appreciate- sorry I've, I've used I've used your entire yeah. your entire time just um, kind of no shooting the breeze with you. No, sorry. That, sorry about that. That's fine. No, don't apologize. I mean, anyone listening knows. I mean, the, like I always joke, I started this show uh, back in October 2021, and back in that time, it was. It was hard sometimes to fill the hour, and now it's like impossible to keep the show under an hour. Regularly, the show is like an hour and a half, two hours, so don't even worry about it. At this point, I'm like, whatever. There's news to talk about. There's people that reach out that want to want to chat on the show. I'm down for it. So um, just really appreciate uh, you giving your time, um, and it was just so insightful to uh, have a conversation with you. So really appreciate it. I mean, before uh, I move on, was there any... Uh, anything you wanted to plug or any shout outs you wanted to give or any uh, call to action you want to give to the community? Just keep building. Uh, and if there's anything that you want to uh, to reach out to me for, um, my my DMs are always open across most channels. So um, feel free. I might deflect you to uh, to someone who's, who's better placed to answer, but uh, feel free to, to reach out um, anytime, anyone. Okay. Appreciate you, Rob. Thanks so much. I'm going to put you back down to uh, listeners. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Okay. So great convo. I mean, it, it, it is crazy. When I started the show, I never really thought I would have guests on the show. And now almost, it feels like every other week, almost every week at this point, I got a guest on the show. So um, things keep growing. Things keep evolving. I'm always using this show as a kind of like a um, an indicator for myself of how the ecosystem is growing. The more and more difficult that it gets to keep the show on time, um, the more bullish I should be on HBAR, I guess. Um, so great chat. I'm definitely going to listen. Uh, I'm going to listen to this episode again and try to absorb a lot of that. So on to some of our other stories today. Um, and we've got quite a bit to talk about, but I'll try to get through this so everyone uh, gets off in time. Because uh, there's probably a good TV show that's coming out on a Sunday or on a Monday morning in Sydney. Um, so off of the back of last week's episode, which was um, talking about long episodes, that was a three-hour episode where we where we went through um, a detailed timeline of the, the recent exploit on Hedera. 
Um, we did see an update from Hedera um, within the original blog post um, that highlighted some other elements of what happened um, based off of some questions from the community. And um, there are a couple, there is a couple key things from this, um, from this update. Um, one of the, one of the key things was um, how the kind of the, I guess not the protocol, but kind of the order of operations that it took to um, turn off the proxies to the main net. And of course, now folks are, are more aware of why the proxies exist um, and those different phases um, as to which they'll then be handed off to nodes. And I'll just read an excerpt of this um, update on the Hedera blog. Uh, when the attacker began stealing tokens from the DEXs on March 9th, the Hedera network operations team, which was Hedera's CIO and CISO, um, Alex, Swords Labs, Dr. Lehman Baird, who also co-chairs the Council's Technical Steering and Product Committee, and Swords Labs DevOps staff, together made the decision to disable the proxy. So th those were the folks that were charged with um, disabling the proxies. Um, and that prevented the exploit from being used to illicitly gain privileges to tokens managed by smart contracts, um, which would allow them to be stolen and prevented the possibility of it being deployed to attack another potentially vulnerable implementations across the network. So that was a key insight from that update. Um, there is other information in there, but that was an answer we were looking for. We were looking for, um, you know, what what were the actions taken to make that happen? And now we have some of those answers. Um, and now the communities move forward with these um, debates and conversations surrounding, um, you know, will this have to happen again if there is some kind of other exploit when the proxies are handed off to the nodes? Will it ever happen again? So lots of healthy discussion happening in the community. And I, you know, I really appreciate um, Hedera following up on that. That was, that was good to see. Um, also too, um, we also have an update from Swords Labs just in regards to um, that, you know, there, there's there's multiple billions of HBAR going from Hedera to Swords. Um, obviously, those were communicated to the community over the last months um, and those were executed. Um, and these types of things are complex, right? And sometimes um, the ways in which these things are communicated to the community, which which sometimes like they're looking at things within the context of their experience on other networks and how um, things are handled in other networks. I think that um, it, you know more often than not, the way in which Hedera and all the other affiliated organizations handle things is is definitely different to what we traditionally see um, with other crypto networks. So seeing this payment go through. Um, and maybe some context lacking for folks new to the ecosystem. It can sometimes appear as though, you know, who's this company? Why are they getting billions of HBAR? What's going on? But as we know, Swirls is a governing council member. A lot of folks that were within Hedera moved to Swirls, and uh, Swirls Labs does a lot of the day-to-day -day, um, and also high-level, um, you know, things that Hedera has to do. Like when we looked at Davos, the representatives for Hedera were folks from Swirls and the governing council, you know, like DLA Piper and Avery Dennison and stuff like that. So really the network is the governing council and 
certain there there are certain services that governing council members will provide to Hedera, and they'll want to be compensated for that. So as the network is bootstrapped um, and and kind of brought online and, and moves through these different phases of decentralization, these types of things have to happen. Um, and what I do appreciate is Swirls Labs publishing an article that does feel you know like a response to. Um, a lot of conversation within the community and also the broader crypto ecosystem. Um, and basically, uh, there's a few um, key points within this article. And the one that I want to um, tackle is just the first question is, why is next year's budget prepaid this year? Um, and what I want to do is I just want to kind of read verbatim this piece of the article just because I think this was the key element to all of this that was confusing to some people, right? I mean, HBAR is, is you know, sub, you know, 10 cents right now. Does that go up? Um, what is the, How does that impact future payments? Why is next year's budget prepaid this year? So, quote, there are a number of reasons that Swirls Labs thought it made good sense to receive prepayment of its budget under the contract with Hedera. When we were forming Swirls Labs, we were very focused on establishing it as a truly independent entity, which in our view entailed, among other things, having responsibility for our own financial management, risk mitigation, and administrative controls. Swirls Labs wanted sufficient latitude to manage the contracts budgeted HBARs in light of the volatility and uncertainty in the crypto market. Prepayment of the annual budget allows Swirls Labs to exercise its own judgment and discretion about how to manage our business risks and financial affairs. In addition, one of the things we heard from existing staff during the reorganization and from candidates during our hiring process were concerns around the medium-term economic viability of Swirls Labs as a standalone entity. To hire the best talent in the industry, it is necessary to reassure them that we have the resources to commit to them in the future years. The prepayments from Hedera also help provide that assurance. So really what this is about is, um, you know, with the backdrop of this kind of bear market and all these different things happening, um, it is really important to not do these kinds of half measures, right? Hedera, the HBAR Foundation, um, and Swirls Labs for better or for worse, are still taking these full measure approaches. Um, and I think that's a big reason why, you know, again, with my conversation with Rob, there's so much innovation and building happening in this ecosystem, um, which again, in contrast to a lot of other networks, you know, Hedera and this network and the things that are coming online and the fact that it is literally the most used DLT on the planet um goes to show that um you know taking these full measures is important especially when um we feel like we're on that kind of razor's edge with things so i get why they did this um i do think that you know it is worth the community still having these conversations around this um but i do you know i appreciate the transparency and it, again, it can't be understated. Swirls Labs is really the workhorse of this organization. Um, it's got Lehman, right? It's got Mance. It's got these core people. Um, and Swirls Labs is really going to help build out the network and reach these next phases. And I mean, they got all sorts of other projects they're working on, right? Like they've got DREC, um, which when we take a, a bit of a higher level look, a bit of a 50,000 foot view um, on all fronts, right? 
marketing, awareness, mass adoption, Swirls Labs putting out a product like DRAC, and we've talked about this at length, but it, it is such a fundamental piece of infrastructure for the Web3 ecosystem as a whole, right? The ability to um, use these technologies in a non-custodial fashion, but not be afraid of losing your private key and solving that, what feels like the last problem, the last obstacle that's in the way of mass adoption and providing that as an open source tool to all networks. I mean, that alone is such a huge um, statement, right? And and positions Swirls in a particular way and also the network. So honestly, I think this is good also to the, the, the faster that we can get HBAR into circulation, um, the better as long as... Um, you know, we, we, we're in the right market and um, it doesn't have like too much of a negative impact, but that's just kind of what's happening. And at the end of the day, most of the HBAR will return to the treasury at some point and cycle through. So um, I think that this is a solid move. I think that, of course, we're going to continue to see conversations around it and we're going to start, we're going to continue to see conversations around it because again, this is a really unique setup. The, the very um, idea of the governing council um, is really new to the Web3 space. We Like even, you know, I watch folks like BitBoy or these other, you know, very prominent figures in crypto and influencers and stuff. They still refer to governing council members as like network validators or nodes or something. So I think that Hedera is going to do what they're going to do. The information's there, but I definitely expect more debate and, and confusion and stuff like that around it. But um, I think that these kinds of, uh, you know, moments of transparency and opportunities to educate people um, is is crucial. So, like, huge kudos to Swirls uh, for taking the time to break that down. Um, also, uh, we've got updates in regards to CBDCs um, and CBDC payments. Um, Idemia is out, um, and it's about offline central bank digital currency. They offer offline payments, driving financial inclusion, higher payment efficiency, and savings on environmental costs. It's a it's also being built on the Hedera platform. So um, there is a white paper that was published. There's a PDF, uh, and I linked to the Reddit art. Like, there's a post in the Reddit community, uh, the Hedera subreddit, um, and often for these kinds of um, resources, I love to just link to the Reddit post because sometimes the comments have some really um, insightful um, information and, and tidbits, that, and one of which I'll point out. Um, but I mean, in the white paper, we see the partners for this, right? We see EM Tech, we see the HBAR Foundation, we see Hedera, but we also see Polygon, we see Ripple, uh, we see um, all these kinds of usual suspects. Um, and when we look at the broader um, uh, bouquet of CBDC initiatives, um, it's really clear that, um, you know, this is going to be um, a big piece of our lives going forward. Now, that is to say, I don't think, and I've, and I've heard people mention this before, I don't think that CBDCs are something that are approaching like a freight train. I really think that um, for us, it is they're really still just entering a very experimental stage and in you know other uh, developing economies 
actually um, going live. We were talking um, last week about um, WeCoin um, from, I think it was WePay, that is basically, um, you know, taking all of the different islands and all the different uh, separate fiat currencies that they have um, and all the different digital wallets that they have and starting to bring those together. Um, offering those different kinds of settlements and, and, and remittance tests. We, and even like, um, you know, was it last year? Maybe it was even earlier. I think it was last year. Maybe it was 2021. I'm pretty sure it was last year when we saw Shenhan Bank and Standard Bank do those remittance tests between banks, right? Um, taking fiat, turning it to a stable, sending it to the next bank as a stable, converting it um, back to fiat. Um, all these different things are happening. And um, before we see CBDCs at the scale that we're kind of envisioning, probably we're going to see government-backed stable coins. And that's something that we've heard a lot of folks in the ecosystem talk about. Um, so this is a really interesting space to watch. There's a lot of stuff in this white paper that's worth checking out. But I wanted to just highlight someone um, in the Reddit community um, that highlighted one element of this white paper um, that is uh, worth pointing out. Um, so they say, quote, offline capability means that a payer and a payee must be able to transact. And that also, too, real quick, that's a huge um, piece of this use case is the fact uh, that it is offline. Um, and that's required for CBDCs, right? When you think about paying for things in cash, because that's ultimately what these will replace, um, that doesn't require a connection. Um, you You need to be able to do these transactions with all sorts of different merchants in a way that you don't need to be connected to a network. You can just tap your card. Um, and this use case in particular, you know, it leverages um, fingerprinting and um, all these different types of things. There's actually a, I'm pretty sure I shared the video for this um, in the Twitter thread pins at the top of the spaces. And it, and it kind of shows the use case um, in action, which is really interesting, but um, perfect ability uh, 1190 on Reddit says, again, quote, offline capability means that a payer and a payee must be able to transact anytime and anywhere, even if the network is down, even if a third party cannot be reached to validate or settle the transaction. A real offline transaction provides instant finality, the ability of a payment to be completed and confirmed immediately without the need for further processing or confirmation. This means that once the payment is made, it is considered final and cannot be reversed or disputed. This is in contrast to tra traditional payment systems where payments can take up to three days to be processed and confirmed and where there is a risk of disputes or charge reversals anytime, anywhere. Even with the ubiquitous network availability, there are still many dead zones without coverage. In emerging economies, data services are scarce outside of urban areas and too expensive for a majority of the population. Even when data service is available, network disruptions can happen at any time and most common during times of heavy network usage or when there are technical issues with the network uh, infrastructure, such as a power outage or hardware failure. Network disruptions can also be caused by natural disasters, such as storms, hurricanes, or earthquakes, which can damage the network infrastructure, cause outages, all those different types of things. So that Reddit user really summarized it well, the kind of those key pain points and the needs of truly what... Uh, when we talk about CBDCs, truly what they're about. Um, and, you know, with my conversation with Rob, 
when we when we talk about bringing the, the those those billion people on that are unbanked that don't have access to these things right it's not just about um innovating on existing systems that we have in these developing economies it's also about um elevating um developing economies and and, and people from all walks of life to participate in things that um, we may take for granted, right? And also, too, something that always comes to mind when we talk about this, just before we move on to our next story, is um, when we look at power grids and stuff. Here in Canada, the power grid that we have is like, I don't know, it's like 80 years old, right? And it was designed to last for, you know, 40, 50 years. And when you have um, new uh, developing cities being built out, they're not necessarily built with the traditional power grid and infrastructure that we have because you move on from that. That's no longer the starting point. That's no longer, um, you know, point A when you're trying to get to Z. And that's why it's so interesting to watch some of these things being built on Hedera because you can start to see what are the new starting points? What is the new zero? Um, and uh, I think that that's a conversation that gets me really excited and kind of brings us to our next um, story, which was uh, a conversation on um, Hello Future Buzz's um, Twitter spaces. Um, you know, folks know Hello Future Buzz, um, Elizabeth Chase, OG community member, um, really, really awesome spaces that she has every Thursday. And she had on as a guest, uh, Carmel Cadet, who is the CEO of EM Tech, uh, previously at IBM. And Carmel has is, is really been on the forefront, at least within the Hedera ecosystem uh, in regards to CBDCs and her desire to leverage this technology um, with her initiatives. And I mean, I remember I was watching some kind of uh, US committee hearing that she was, you know, presenting on. So she's really in the forefront of these things. And she shared some really, really interesting insights on this Twitter spaces that I just wanted to touch on quickly here. Um, she says, quote, I'm not in the business of creating a government controlled currency. Um, what she specifies is we use central banking money every day. How do we make that modern? Um, and her goal is to put cash on DLTs. Right, and that really speaks to that last story we were talking about with uh, with Idemia and and kind of those um, offline transactions. That is literally putting cash on a DLT, um, and they want to convince central banks to use a public DLT. Right, it's like Rob was talking about with the ESG space. It's really important to make these types of things audible and visible and not opaque to the public, to other businesses. Um, and that's one thing to do on ESG. But when we talk about, um, you know, central banking money and, and government-backed uh, stablecoins, all these different types of things, ideally you have those, those running on a public ledger. Um, that is the ideal thing. But obviously you're going to run into resistance. Um, there are knowledge gaps and there, it's going to take a lot of time, right? So I really loved hearing that. Also, too, um, there, you know, there's always concerns about are they going to attract people's money, all these different types of things. 
Um, Carmel did mention, you know, she hasn't met a central banker that wants to track everyone's money. So I think that um, those are definitely legitimate concerns. And I mean, when we look at some of the different revelations we've had in regards to how different governments, um, you know, employ certain types of surveillance or all those different types of things, those are completely legitimate concerns. Um, but when we go back down to the scale of just um, people really in the early phases of these different types of developments and technologies, um, you know, there is a, there is a, a there, there's optimism in the air. Um, and we also recently did see some announcements regarding the FedNow system. And I've seen people kind of go, oh, like, is this Hedera doing this? Or they're not using a Hedera. What, the, what is this about? It actually has nothing to do with that. Um, Carmel clarified the FedNow system isn't a payment system. Um, it's not a change in digital currency and how the Fed issues currency. Um, it's just a new system for uh, basically, you know, transferring things between different entities um, at a high level. So the FedNow system isn't um, the purported kind of digital dollar or CBDC um, that uh, we've been kind of watching that story develop in the U.S. It's, it's nothing related to that. It's something different. Um, so it's good to get that clarification. Um, also, too, it's, it's interesting to learn that Carmel doesn't hold any HBAR. And I found this interesting because um, I put myself in her shoes, um, potentially meeting with these central bankers and talking about these use cases that leverage, you know, the Hedera network. And I totally understand from an optics standpoint, you know, if she were to be holding HBAR, right, that might send a particular message about what her objective is. Um, so I guess, yeah, it is important for her not to hold HBAR. Um, maybe a bummer, right? But um, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, let's see what else we got going on here. Um, do, 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 do. Galaxy. This one is really interesting. So folks unfamiliar, um, Spencer Dinwiddie of uh, NBA fame, Solo Cisse, um, who now recently became the CEO um, of Galaxy after they um, closed $26 million in, in funding. I actually had Solo as a guest on the show last year. I can't remember exactly when, but had a fantastic conversation with him. He wasn't at a point at that time where he could really talk about what was coming down the pipeline, what people could expect. Um, really what it came down to was because the founder of Galaxy is, you know, a major celebrity and, and an NBA player, um, and because they are dealing with tokenized assets and all those different types of things, and also factoring in, you know, the the, the all the confusion surrounding uh, regulation and you know what is a security, what is not in the, in the scope of Web three, any misstep that you know. Galaxy makes, there's going to be all sorts of different people just waiting to jump on that and, you know, probably pop up lawsuits and all these different types of things. And so that reframed a couple things for me. And, and I understand now why a lot of these use cases um, within the last, you know, six to eight, six to nine months have kind of gone into a bit of a holding pattern, right? It makes sense. Um, we've even seen some elements on the Hedera roadmap enter that same phase, like community nodes, all these different things. I think it's a smart move, right? It definitely bums me out, but it is a smart move. 
Um, I had been using Calyxy, the beta, for a long time, for over a year. Um, I think I started using it November 2021. Um, great app, super fun. Um, but what's interesting is uh, the new Calyxy blog launched, and the latest article is Calyxy is coming. Um, and they published some videos of the app, and, and uh, you know apparently there's a refresh coming. They've also pivoted away from... Um, developing native apps for iOS and stuff, and they're focusing on these web apps and everything. So they're going to be a, a lot more agile, and they're going to be um, able to be much more iterative with how they put out these releases and develop their apps. So that's exciting. Um, and uh, really, the other side of this is Galaxy really transformed temporarily into an infrastructure play because. Um, they also, you know, were building the Creators Galaxy protocol, which was an open, which is an open source, arguably kind of like layer two on Hedera that allows applications like Galaxy to create these, you know, creator economies um, with all of these different, um, you know, functionalities, right? Like having a wallet, being able to send crypto back and forth between people via DMs, uh, posting things, minting NFTs. Um, having different functionalities like you'd find maybe in OnlyFans or Cameo. And so all these different mechanisms, Galaxy really bundled up into really a, 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 a pillar of infrastructure. They also launched their DAO. They had a DAO vote. Um, they did an airdrop of Galaxy. So we went from um, this this use case being relatively quiet to really coming online. And this stuff was, was published just recently. Um, and... I will say there's not like a ton of new information, um, but what I will say is, you know, within the context of the fact that they they didn't really want to slow things down and they didn't really want to kind of fade into the background a bit, it was just because they had to play it safe. Now, um, it definitely seems like they've got solid footing and they're going to be going live with some stuff. And... This is this this is going to be really one to watch, right? For folks unfamiliar with Galaxy, like they're they're really going to onboard um, a lot of talent, a lot of celebrities, a lot of users into an app where they may not know they're using a DLT, they may not know they're using a Hedera. They're just hoping to provide um, another digital wallet, a social media platform to allow creators true ownership over their work, their identity, um, things that they do, things that they mint, um, and do it in a way that, again, obfuscates the, the, the Web3 aspect of this and makes it just another social media app. Um, so it's not really something catered to the Hedera community, but it's NFTs, it's crypto, it's HBAR, it's it like... This is built right on the native layer, uh, and they're really excited about that aspect. Um, so, it's a social media app, and it's you know it's coming. So, I'd expect something soon from them. I mean, the the blog post definitely indicates that some stuff's happening. Um, also, too, just kind of following up on the aftermath of of the attack on the mainnet. Um, one of the main players in that was Pangolin. Last week, I did have the CEO. Um, of Pangolin on the show as a guest to to go through that kind of detailed timeline. Um, if you haven't gone back and listened to that episode, it was really, really great. Um, definitely do that. But the real question was, 
after the proxies were brought back online, after things were able to kind of start moving again on the network, what would happen? Because, you know, right up until the proxies were disabled, we saw liquidity being um, sucked out of the network. We saw um, all sorts of different things happening. And when the network came back online, we were kind of like, are people going to dump HBAR or um, are they going to venture back into these liquidity pools on these DEXs? Um, and uh, Scruffy Chuck from Pangolin Dex put out a, a post on March 12th, so a while ago. I assume this is uh, further moved along than uh, than, than uh, on the 12th, but um, the TVL went back up 50%. So um, in the days following the exploit um, of the liquidity that was lost, they regained 50% of that uh, within two days. So um, speaking to the resilience of the community, um, it's not just what the community is saying in the general sentiment. It's literally the community putting their money where their mouth is. Um, we didn't see a crash in HBAR price. We didn't see um, a crash in TVL on the network. We saw the opposite, right? And that was really, really telling to me. Um, and even today, we're still seeing that. Um, and things are kind of <laughs> things are kind of back to normal. So um, that was great to see. But that was a, that was a good update from uh, from Pangolin Dex that I just wanted to highlight. Um, also, too, it's been two years since the hash pack folks met on Discord and came together to develop a wallet. Um, and there's a great thread published by uh, Jacob from Hashpack, um, and it you know it's worth highlighting. I, I I mean it's a Twitter thread. It's really short, so I'll just read it. Um, but I mean Hashpack really being a a, a key pillar of the community. Um, Jacob says this: <clears throat> From our humble beginnings of meeting in Discord, we bootstrapped the MVP of Hashpack all while working full time jobs. We met each other about six months later on our first video call. Shortly after, we incorporated and launched the Chrome extension in late October 2021. <clears throat> I think a lot of people will remember that. After a steady launch, we gained about a thousand users in the first few months. From there, things skyrocketed and we had over 50,000 monthly active users by early quarter two, 2022. And that was, of course, at the time of folks remember we had Exact Wallet. Um, for NFTs, that's how folks were collecting NFTs and minting NFTs. Exact Wallet <clears throat> was effectively, you know, decommissioned. So there was this, you know, chasm for weeks and months within the community where we weren't really able to buy, sell, trade NFTs. And hash that's that's kind of right at the time when Hashpack kind of swooped in, and arguably. Um, remove that logjam from the ecosystem. Um, so at this point, Hashpack users account for 90% of the Hedera ecosystem with over 300 million US dollars of assets stored in user wallets um, and 95% of Hedera dApps integrated with Hashpack. Um, so, I mean, huge shout out to the team, huge success. Um, and, you know, I think that it's really a really good thing that we're seeing in the ecosystem is more wallets um, joining into uh, the the ecosystem, and you know it's not a good thing to. It's not necessarily a good thing to have one wallet, 
um, that 95% of the community uses. I think that most of the community uses multiple wallets. You know, I, I use a variety of different wallets because they all have their own kind of special things that they do. But putting all that aside, right, this is a little team that got together. They removed a log jam ecosystem-wide. They got things moving. And any serious DAP, right? Zeus Market, Saucer Swap, any other DEX, any other NFT marketplace, any other DeFi protocol, like all these different types of things. It uses Hashpack. And um, it is, it's definitely worth something cheersing to, right? So cheers to the Hashpack team. Congrats on two years. Um, I had the pleasure of uh, a couple weeks ago, or I think it was, yeah, a couple weeks ago, I had Tyler from Hashpack on. We were talking about Secure Trade version two. Um, I've had them on the show. Great team. Love those guys. So shout out. Um, and what else we got going on here? We actually covered it. We, we managed to actually cover um, a few of these news stories with Rob. I'm scrolling through and I'm like, oh, we touched on a couple of these already. Great. So we're actually a little further ahead than I thought. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk about is music. Um, and there was a recent article published um, in, a, in a crypto publication um, talking about, uh, you know, a prominent NFT app migrating to Hedera from Ethereum. That app is um, a, a platform being built called Mint. Um, full disclosure, they are a client of uh, my company's, my company being Dirksen and Davenport Incorporated. We're helping launch their product. Um, but it was just a jumping off point because um, I definitely see um, so many other use cases too, like Seeky, TuneFM. Um, that, you know, I mean, TuneFM has been around since... Um, arguably before the uh, the before HBAR was minted, like TuneFM has been developing forever. Um, and on the artist side, there are so many artists, and, and when I say artists, I mean musicians within the Hedera ecosystem. It would actually shock you <clears throat> to um, talk to founders of these projects and find out that they're actually musicians as well. Um, and I truly see this being the year that um, the what I'll call the Hedera music scene starts forming because, you know, when we look, like, I hear this a lot too, like, um, oh, did we, you know, has the NFT ecosystem peaked? Um, will we ever see things get this big again on Ethereum and blah, blah, blah? We're not even close. Um we will have peaked when the tokenized art world mirrors the actual art world. And in the actual art world, music is one of the biggest, if not the biggest components of art, right? And in the NFT world, it's like, it's a little sliver right now. And the music uh, ecosystem and industry is just, as an artist myself, you know, I'm a drummer, I'm a front man, I was in a rock and roll band, I, I, you know, I get royalties from Spotify and all those types of things. It's horrible. It takes me nine months, nine months to get a royalty from Spotify of someone who streams something. So it's an archaic system. Also, too, for indie artists that don't have label support and don't have these different things, they just, it's so hard to get that ownership of your own income and the value that you've driven, you have to fight. And when we look at Web3, it's a completely different story. And there's so many different opportunities. So just to touch on this, I mean, um, 
we are starting to see more broadly in the crypto and Web3 ecosystem music start to become more and more prominent. And what I'm hoping is that because of the carbon negative nature of the network uh, and all the other special things that the hash graph brings, and also just the culture of our community, like, you know, like I was talking about with Rob, like um, the, the Hedera community is really top tier. This is primed to be a hotbed for independent artists. And it's going to depend on finding the right ways in which we can articulate the value propositions for independent artists to them, right? This could very well be the chance for musicians and artists to write the rules. This is a decentralized network or, you know, as decentralized as you can get at this at this point. Um, and it's fair. So I think that if you're a musician and you're on Hedera, the best thing that you can do is mint some music, right? That is an art form. That is a slice of pie that needs to be grown. That's what I want to see. And I know that the infrastructure, the marketplaces, the wallets don't necessarily serve that art form yet. But the only way that we're going to see music become more prominent in this ecosystem is for it to exist. And I mean, we've had, um, I worked with uh, my business partner, Joshua Dirks, and we worked on the hash shanty. We got that minted. Um, maybe I'll just quickly mention, I do have a, a I'm not just, um, you know, preaching here. I'm, I'm actually going to mint some music myself as well. Um, but that's what it's going to take. If you're an artist, start minting music, please, because... That's the only way that we're going to start to push and be able to start to mold and start to do these things before the big guys come in. And that's where the power is. The power comes back to the art, the artist. The network is just a part of it. And just as we did with NFTs, right? And just as NFTs influenced Ethereum and, and created just this incredible movement and helped shape you know, the art world, let's do that with music and let's do it on Hedera um, cause like we were talking about ESG and, and sustainability and how Hedera is really going to be the place to do that. I feel the same way about music, um, just as a musician. Um, so if you've got music, mint it, please. Um, also too, we've seen just, just flipping back to, um, a little bit of a, well, not flipping back, but flipping over to a bit of a different um, conversation that has definitely started to unfold that we touched on a little bit was AI. And this is less about me kind of like talking about all the cool AI stuff going on, but just something specific that I wanted to highlight. Um, with the recent addition of ChatGPT4 um, and a lot of these AIs to parse and review longer form text and and more detailed code and, you know, pass the bar exam and all these different types of things. Um, I wanted to surface a tweet from John Wingate, who is, uh, you know, as most folks know at Bank Social. He says, quote, if you run an open source project, you need to run your code through AI for exploits. Do it now. And I, you know, I, I'll say that as well. Um, I've seen a couple people on Twitter um, paste their smart contracts, their their audited smart contracts code into you know different AIs like Chat GPT four, and as these continues to get more advanced, 
and that AI will will find um, exploits and they'll use certain prompts, right? Like they'll say, you know, you are a um, smart contract uh, security auditing firm and you're being tasked with X, Y, and Z, review this contract. And it will point specific things out and it will suggest fixes. And as we know, um, sometimes AI can't be entirely accurate, um, but I'll tell you, now that this stuff exists, there will be people going out there and just grabbing your smart contracts and grabbing your code, running it through AI, seeing if that AI can find exploits and having the AI, the AI potentially give them insights into how to act upon those things. And this is kind of the world that we're entering. So um, that's just one thing I wanted to highlight, and especially to the Hedera community as we are starting to grow and as many of these projects are just getting um, footing, right? I think that you know this may be a new um, checkbox, right, to add to the old pre-launch um, thing. Maybe this is something useful you could do before sending your contracts or code off to audit, right? I think that this is something we're going to have to start to do. But, you know, wanted to highlight that tweet from John. Good eye. Um, speaking of this kind of stuff, we've got Lehman Swap um, that is a new DEX that is entering the fray. Um, hopefully it'll be launching at some point in April, I've heard. I don't know if that's public. I don't know, but um, I think, you know, that's kind of, I've heard that in so many different conversations. I have no idea who that's from. I've just seen it mentioned a couple times. But um, their recent update does lend to that because um, Lehman Swap um, have run some successful tests. Um, and it's important because Lehman Swap isn't based on the Uniswap version 2 um, smart contracts. And that's important because. Um, when we look at, you know, Saucer Swap or Heli Swap or any of the, you know, prominent DEXs on Hedera, they are utilizing the uni, either Uniswap version two or version three. And Lehman Swap is going to be leveraging Trident, which is different and has a few different aspects to it. They talk about it a lot. I definitely encourage you to um, head over to Lehman Swap and dive into that. Um, I don't necessarily have an opinion on the DEX. Um, I'll have to check it out when it goes live. But I just wanted to highlight this because I do find it interesting um, to see another smart contract based X coming to Hedera that isn't based off of Uniswap. Um, and I think that's something worth highlighting. There is this kind of spectrum that we're seeing where on one side you've got kind of the traditional Uniswap DEXs. On the other side, you've got things like, um, you know, like uh, HBAR Suite with their smart node technology and more AppNet approach that doesn't use smart contracts and just uses the, the layer one protocol natively. Um, so lots of interesting things happening. We've got a new DEX coming and it isn't based on Uniswap. Really cool, really interesting. Um, keep it on your radar, check it out. Also, an update from Headstarter. Um, they're announcing a partnership with C14 to enable direct fiat onboarding for HBAR and other cryptos um, and make it seamless. Um, and they put out a tweet. Um, I don't know if they have a link to an announcement. Oh, yeah, they do. Perfect. Or is this a link? I don't think this is a link. It's just a video clip with some logos. Um, so this is interesting. Maybe it's a bit of a tweezer. Uh, sorry, not a tweezer. 
my God, it's been a long time, a teaser. Um, and this has been a difficult thing to do, especially in the the environment that we find ourselves with the difficulty in onboarding and offboarding fiat. We've seen people posting notices from their banks with the bank restricting their ability to onboard fiat into an exchange. So when we talk about, um, you know, Headstarter saying, quote, we're partnering with C14 to make fiat onboarding directly from your credit card seamless. Access HBAR and your favorite HTS token straight from the Headstarter DAP. I mean, that's really crazy. And I want to learn more about it. I thought it was a link to an article and it's not. It's just a little video clip, but I'm sure we'll learn more about it. And I think that as we start to see how the whole stablecoin thing pans out with USDC and USDT and all those different types of things. What it really comes down to is people will want to participate in the ecosystem that we have here with the different HTS assets that we have, but they won't necessarily have an easy way to grab HBAR. If they can do it with their credit card, that's pretty cool. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. Um, and let me see here. We do have, um, another cool update that, uh, we'll, we'll talk about just before we wind down the spaces. Um, Hedericon. So I was on a spaces last week. I've also talked with Elizabeth too, um, from hello future buzz. And, um, in early October this year in Dallas, there is going to be Hedericon. Um, which has participation from, I do believe, you know, the HBAR Foundation and Squirrels and Lehman and Mance will be there. And there's, I think there's like something like 70 requests for vendor booths. And so it is growing into this kind of crazy thing. Um, but Hedericon is, you know, they're just at the early phases, right? They are, they are looking for um, the correct venue. Um, they are forming a kind of planning committee, but this is pretty big. We, you know, we've seen ETH Denver, right? Um, we've seen NFT NYC. We've seen Consensus. We've seen these these um, these events and these conventions that Hedera and 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 uh, related parties will have a presence at, and that's really exciting to see everybody kind of making connections and um, expanding the knowledge of Hedera and all the cool stories that we hear from from uh, from these different endeavors. But what is super cool that I see is when two people from the Hedera ecosystem get together in real life um, and, you know, just like get a picture together or start sharing ideas. And the concept of a, of a Hedera-focused convention is really interesting to me because now you're going to have all of these folks from within the Hedera ecosystem come together in real life over a span of, it looks like, you know, a week that's got to be really interesting because that's when we're going to start to see all of these kinds of startups, um, community projects, NFT projects, truly be able to um, collaborate in a whole new in a whole new way, and potentially have people from other ecosystems come into our world a little bit. And this is the first one. It was bound to happen. It's happening October in Dallas, and I'm you know I'm probably going to be there. A lot of people are going to be there. It's going to be really interesting. I think the website is, let me see what the website is. HederaCon. Uh, I don't know if they have the website up yet. Maybe they do. They're on Twitter, at HederaCon. But 
Go check it out. Get plugged in. It's this October. It's a convention for Hedera. It's really, really exciting. Um, so, wow. That brings us to the end of the news. There are a couple things in the Twitter thread, pins to the top of the spaces that I didn't quite get to. But if you want to see everything, there are a couple things um, th- that we weren't able to chat on just because I... <laughs> I really have to. I really have to get on with my evening, and uh, you know, um, you know, get ready for for my Monday. I know that Rob's already experiencing Monday, but I still have Monday coming. Um, and I'm thinking about all this stuff, and you know, when I look at my key takeaways, um, and I look at the theme of the show, how soon is now? It definitely feels like it's not that my hands are coming off the wheel a little bit, but it's been so long. It's been years and years and years of um, watching all of these individual use cases and initiatives across the ecosystem um, in the same way that maybe I would sit down and watch grass grow. And when you sit and watch grass grow, you can't really tell that it's growing. Right. You, you, but if you check out the grass, leave, come back, you know, a month later, you're going to go, oh my God, this grass is out of control. And there's so many different things happening now. It's not possible to watch all of these use cases and initiatives so closely anymore. I, I'm pretty sure that I'm on these weekly spaces, I'm just covering a sliver of what's happening. Um, And the how soon is now, I'm wondering what's happening to that, you know, lawn that I haven't checked out in a while. Am I going to go and check it out and the grass is going to be up to my knees? I don't know. Because I just, either I haven't thought of it. um, I haven't had time. I haven't been able to circle back. And, that's what I'm feeling right now is I just, and especially too with the, with the Atma IO use case going live, I just have a sense that some of the things that I've been waiting to happen maybe have happened and I just haven't had the capacity to go come back and follow up with that and see what's going on. Um, much like, you know, we were talking about Coupon Bureau, uh, you know, a huge focus of the community, but you know, even Rob was like, hey, you know what? I don't know what's going on with that. I have to go, I have to go check it out. I think we're kind of all in the same boat. There's so much happening. And that's a good thing. Um, but I definitely feel like um I've gone from being in the driver's seat and you know, kind of like looking all around and driving all around, and I'm in the passenger seat now. And um I I think that this year is just going to be a big change. And we've been seeing some big changes, right? We saw, um, you know, Lehman and Mance leave Swirls. We saw the HBAR Foundation get created. Um, I remember when they changed the name from Hashgraph to just Hedera. We've seen all these fundamental changes behind the scenes. And so many of these things have happened that now at this point, I think that it's just about scale and it's just about just letting this stuff grow like the grass. And we're going to go back and check some things out and kind of go, whoa, what's been happening here? I had no idea that this all came to fruition. Um, Because as the ecosystem grows and grows and grows, 
all of these things that were big to us are going to start to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, so um, the question is, how soon is now? And sometimes that phrase makes no sense. Other times it reminds me of a great song by the Smiths. Um, but that's what came to my mind, just thinking about and feeling about what's happening in the ecosystem now. Um, so I think that that is, uh, is an attitude that I have right now. I, I remember when, when we were winding down the year last year, um, I talked about circling back to some of these projects I had an eye on to see what they were doing. Um, but then step function and the, 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 the revelations about, um, you know, all the new governing council members in the pipeline, all these different types of things. There's so much happening. Um, so, uh, if we stick together and keep communicating, I think we're going to be able to keep up with this stuff, but fortunately or unfortunately, the show is going to continue to get longer. So, um, be prepared for that. At least with the recording, you can listen to me on, on uh, 150% speed. So that does help. Um, but with that, another week behind us and another week ahead. A huge shout out to everyone listening live on Twitter Spaces right now. And an extra shout out to everyone listening to the recording on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you may find yourself. If you have a moment, give the show a rating and review on your play, on your favorite platform. It helps a lot. Um, and another huge thank you to Rob Allen, um, uh, Senior Vice President of, uh, of Ecosystem Acceleration at the HBAR Foundation. Um, great conversation. I'm going to listen to this episode again for sure. Um, and thanks for tuning in to Hashgraph News and Rumors, episode 69, How Soon Is Now, broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. Make sure to join the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community to share your insights, ask questions, and invite new friends. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, feel free to send an hbar donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. Um, and again, I appreciate everyone tuning in. I'll see you live on Twitter Spaces next Sunday, um, same time, same place. Uh, for everyone listening now, I'm going to keep the spaces open for a few more moments. If you see somebody listening that you don't recognize, give them a follow, check out their profile. Let's stick together. If you see someone you do recognize um, that you haven't connected with in a while, click their profile, send them a message. What's up? What's going on? What have they been working on? It must be something cool. They're still listening to these shows. Um, and that's the whole purpose of these. Let's stay connected. So with that, have a great uh, rest of your day or night or wherever you may be listening. Um, and I'll see you next week. Hello, future. Goodbye, past.